Hello friends and welcome to Swimming and Singing. I'm Sarah Nelson. I'm a yoga therapist in Portland, Oregon, and I specialize in working with people dealing with chronic pain and anxiety, finding ways to use the tools of yoga to create more ease and joy and less suffering. The name of my podcast comes from a beloved poem and is a reminder that some days it's all we can do to tread water and then other days there is room for joy. This podcast aims to share practices for both types of days. I have two time-sensitive, exciting announcements I want to share with you. First up, if you've been listening to this podcast for a bit, you know I have an online therapeutic yoga membership that has been closed to new members. I'm excited to announce that I will be opening the membership to new members on October 17th. It will be open for one week and then I'll close it back down. And I want you to know this is not to create a sense of urgency. It's so that I can spend the majority of my time and energy focused on serving the members who are in the membership. Head to the link in my bio and sign up to be on the wait list so that you know as soon as the membership is reopened. Folks on the waiting list who join the membership in October will also get a special bonus. My second exciting announcement is about an online workshop that former swimming and singing guest Stacy Ballard and I are putting on. You might remember Stacy as the guest who shared some great simple art projects that you can do anywhere to help calm your nervous system when you're feeling anxious or in pain. Stacy and I have teamed up to create a 30 minute workshop online sharing some creative and yogic practices to help de-stress. Whether you celebrate the holidays at this time of year or not, it can be a pretty ungrounding and stressful time of year. We've got a few practices to help you get through and we are excited to share them with you. The workshop is Wednesday, October 19th, and you can sign up at the link in the show notes. Okay. Let's get on with the show. Today, I'll be talking to Abigail Rose Clark, creator of the Embodied Life Method and the Somatic Tarot. We chat about what it means to be embodied and the challenges to being embodied in our society, especially for folks with disabilities or chronic pain. Just a reminder, this podcast is for inspiration and information and does not replace medical care or advice. I am not a licensed healthcare professional or mental health therapist. Not all practices discussed on this podcast will be suitable or accessible to everybody, but I hope that you find something that resonates and can bring a bit more ease and joy into your life. Let's get to it. Hello, Abigail, and welcome to Swimming and Singing. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. So I would love to start by hearing a bit about the work you do with the Embodied Life Method. Mm, Okay, yes, it's a great question. There's a lot of places that we could go with it. So I'm going to give you a little bit, and then let's see where you want to take it, right? Like what waters we swim in. 
So I call it the embodied life method um, because it acknowledges the history I have in learning science uh, more traditionally, you know, like the scientific method. I think that there is a great value in being methodical in our approach. But rather than the sort of um, breaking down into pieces and parsing out different things like the scientific method can do, this is about really what does it mean to be methodical in our poetic approach to being in a body. So in the embodied life method, I am offering people different ways to enter into a deeper relationship with their bodies. And then by doing that, enter into a, a deeper relationship, more nuanced relationship with the world, with the natural world. But we're also, and this is an important part, we're also exploring the context of why it is that we haven't seen or understood the body to be relational and whole or why it is that, you know, we take on different aspects of, um, of things like ableism, like racism, like sexism, and we look at the why so that we can understand the context. And then we, we under we look at the body to see, okay, how is this changing my relationship to my body? And then we find something different. We find something more beautiful. So that's a taste. And now mm-hmm. let's see where you want to go with that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, that's that's so interesting. Um, so when we talk about being embodied, maybe like let's like even just take it back to like, what is that? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I, I know it's, kind of funny, right? Because it's like we have a body, so we're embodied by default. It's this weird sort of buzzword. I think that being embodied really speaks to being in an awareness of body as a whole rather than as a collection of pieces or even just, you know, this sort of vehicle that gets us from point A to point B. What I take issue with is the way that the embodiment industry has made it seem like in order to be embodied, you have to always enjoy being in your body. It has to always feel good. You should look a certain way, move a certain way, feel a certain way. Because really what being embodied is to me is the sort of reality of what it is that my body is experiencing right now. And being in a relationship with my body where I practice listening and practice allowing the body to lead rather than just my mind telling me how the body should act, should behave, should feel, etc. So to be embodied is to sort of step back from all the ways that we've been taught and told that we should feel, that we should look, that we should act, and instead be like, all right, what is actually happening in my body right now? And for those with chronic or even just acute pain, that's not always necessarily pleasant. There's a whole lot of reasons why we might not want to be in our bodies. There's a whole lot of reasons why asking someone who has chronic pain issues to sit and feel their bodies is actually almost cruel because there's so many different ways that people with chronic pain, we have to like sort of find ways to leave the body in order to just be able to just make it through a day. And there are always ways that the body is being supported by its relationship with the natural world. So to be embodied is also a remembering that the body's always in a relationship with the natural world, that so much of what makes being in a differently able body is actually due to the ways that society has structured itself to keep 
to keep differently abled bodies out of or away from different areas, um, rather than, you know, being in a relationship that's with my body as it is and not only as something broken or that needs to fix or something wrong, but just like, all right, what is my body actually experiencing right now? What do I feel not from a labeling perspective? So even something like not just from saying, oh, I feel pain, but what is it that I actually feel in my body? And can I feel, um, can I feel different sensations rather than just the labels that we've been taught to give ourselves, especially when we have bodies that live in pain or live in chronic illness. So to be embodied is to be in a relationship with the body that is alive and alert and aware, and also aware that we're not, um, that we're not all given, you know, that we can't just all think or move our ways to an easy anatomy, that there needs to be a, um, that we need to make room for the full spectrum of what it means to be in a body. So I, I'm not sure if I answered the question clearly, but I think it's to sort of sum up, it, to be embodied is to be in a relationship with the body as it is, not as we wish it were or um, wish it weren't. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. Um, when I was thinking about talking to you, I was remembering how, you know, in the past I – I thought that if I listened to my body and I moved the way it wanted to move and I ate the things my body said it wanted to eat, then I would magically then have this perfect body, the Mm. different body than the one that I have, a smaller body. And um, it has taken time to learn that, you know, bodies are different. And I feel like the wellness industry is really telling us, like, just do these things and your body will be perfect. Mm-hmm. If, not, if your body's not perfect either like to look at or to be in or to feel then you're not doing something right yes absolutely I think it's also really important then to to just push on and question what the idea of a perfect body is it's typically a body that's made for industry right it's a body that can that can work right. when I was I considered becoming a physical therapist and then sort of veered veered to the left like at the last possible moment and one of the reasons was is that it became really um heartbreaking to me especially as someone who's been through um multiple eras of long-lasting pain I can't say that I have chronic lifelong pain but definitely long stretches of time when my body was differently able than the norm and what was really frustrating and heartbreaking to me was seeing how the, the insurance industry wants to make sure that we can get back to a functioning state in terms of can we work, right? Like that's kind of the goal. And that to me was just like, oh gosh, that's, that's really frustrating and really, um, it's really disappointing, right? Uh, so a large part of what we've been, and then you mentioned smaller bodies and it's like, well, you know. We know, we know where that's coming from, right? It's like keep the femmes small and we just constantly stay focused on how much we weigh rather than any, old, any host of, of other interest, more interesting ideas. <laughs> right? So questioning where it is that we have been told that our bodies need to be quote unquote perfect. Now, the nuance there is that, you know, it is really difficult to be in chronic pain right? It is really difficult. It does change your ability to navigate the world in a full way. 
and the ways that an ableist society relates to bodies that are differently abled makes some of those issues more acute and more intense than they would be in a non-ableist society, even though pain is intense. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yes, that does. That makes a lot of sense. It's like, Mm -hmm. um, it's like the pain is there and then it's amplified by um, being told over and over again that your body's not right. And yeah, exactly. Or, and I'm, I'm forgetting who, I got this from this is not original to me it's probably from the book care work do you know that book I don't oh man and I'm going to I would mispronounce her name so I don't want to say it because it'll sound um maybe you can put it in notes but it's um her first name is Leah and I will email you the rest of her last name so you can put it in the show notes and it's about um making sure that we use um the the that the the advances made by the disabled community really can guide us into a better future. And when COVID started, she gave some really great podcasts about how like, hey, y'all need to talk to people who have been having to wear respirators for years now. Like we understand this, right? Like y'all need to talk to people who have had to make community even though they can't leave our homes. Like we need to, like we can guide you in this, right? Like we understand this. But I remember and it might be coming from her or it might be coming from somewhere, somewhere similar that, you know, to question even the idea of the wheelchair as something that creates something that is that enhances inaccessibility, because it doesn't, the wheelchair is actually an accessibility device. But it's the structures, it's the buildings that are built to not have wheelchair ramps or to not have wide enough doors or to not have wide enough bathrooms that create inaccessibility for someone who's in a wheelchair, which is by design, an accessibility device. So this is where it's like, we have to make sure that we are keeping the focus on the systemic overall picture and saying, hey, the fact that you're, that someone's in pain, that is a limiting factor for sure. But the incessant pace of industry means that there's no time to recover, which only exasperates pain, right? The fact that someone can't move easily I mean, as someone who's gone through long stretches of time when I haven't been able to move easily and even been bedridden, yeah, it's not, I don't want to minimize how isolating, how frightening, how vulnerable that is. And going through that in an ableist society makes it more difficult, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, as long as we're keeping the focus on that, then we can, then there's more room for what really is, you know, there's a wide range of what it means to be in a, to, of what is a, good body. I don't think a perfect body exists, right? But there's a, a much wider range than an ableist society allows us to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you kind of just touched on this, but also I, I read it on your website. You talk um, about embodiment, not just as a practice, but a responsibility mm-hmm. for remaining present with the world, the world as it is. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. I think that idea is so interesting. Yeah. Okay. So one important part of it is what I was just talking about. Like if we are, if we are embodied, then there is, um, there's a greater chance that we're going to be able to slow down enough to notice where we're just going by rote or going according to stories that we've been given by industry, by ableism, by racism, by the by the patriarchy, all of these out all of these 
rapidly outdating, outdated systems, right? So, and then also, like, the world is in a mess. Like, that's an understatement. <laughs> and so there is this, there is, there is this um, created sense of urgency. Capitalism loves urgency. White supremacy and white supremacist culture creates urgency. It's a, it's a factor of whiteness. And then there's also, um, you know, we have to go faster, do more, fix it faster, be better. And then there's also the very real truth that these are urgent times, right? Mm -hmm. That there are, there is a lot happening. If I am present with myself in a deeper way and part of the embodied life method, one of the first places we always start is with feeling your relationship to gravity, like actually dropping your body into that pull of the earth so that here I am talking to you and I'm supported, right? So I'm not just, I don't have to do it all by myself. I'm pulled down. I'm also pushed up. The earth is going to push up through me in equal measure. That's the, otherwise we'd be flat like pancakes. We're uh-huh. dimensional beings because there's a push coming up from the earth as much as there's a pull going down. So if I can feel that, then it's going to be easier, not necessarily easy, but easier to be present with you. And then it's going to be easier, not necessarily easy, but easier to have a meaningful conversation with you. You know, if we were to arrive at conflict, because, you know, if we hung out long enough, we would, right? Like that's just kind of a natural part of humans rubbing up against each other is that conflict arises. If I am able to feel supported in my own body, there's going to be greater, there's, I'm going to have a greater capacity to be able to be in difficult conversations with you. I'm going to be able to have greater capacity to look at nuanced information around you know, the, the various crises that we're facing, I'm going to have greater ability to notice how these different crises overlap because we've been sort of indoctrinated into methods of thinking that isolate, right? We're taught geography is separate than history, is separate than math, is separate than English, but the real world doesn't move like that. The real world is much more fluid and interacting. So that's what I mean when I say it's a responsibility because we we owe it to ourselves and to each other to be as present as we can be with the, with ourselves and with each other and mm-hmm. it's difficult it's not easy right we're very like all of us are feeling that the weight of isolation all of us are feeling the weight of just one crisis after another crisis after another crisis it's just it's exhausting and if i can be present in myself and therefore better able to be present with you now um, we're offering each other something of, of incredible value and something that is deeply needed that I can't give you if I'm not really present, right? So while being embodied can be sort of um, like the way that the embodiment industry places it is that, oh, you're going to look better and you're going to feel better and you're going to be more calm and you're going to be more this and you're going to have all these different products, Right. I don't find that necessarily true. Sometimes you just end up feeling worse because you're like, oh my gosh, all of the defenses that I built up against feeling this grief for climate change and this grief that here we are in the in the like death throes of white supremacy culture, the grief that we're all so isolated. And this is really, this is the, the option that we came up with. Like this is the world that we're living in. 
But, you know, it's so much more soothing and so much more human to be in reality together. And if I am feeling it, if I am feeling big feelings, it's going to be so much more um, possible to move through them if I feel like I'm with you rather than just sort of isolated and just talking, you know, about nonsense because we can't actually get real with each other. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason why I'm why I say that it's a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me one of my yoga teachers from my teacher training. One of his teachers said something like, I'm quote, you know, just remembering, um, you'll know your yoga is working if your relationships are getting better. It wasn't mm. like, you'll know your yoga is working if you can touch your toes or, you know, breathe a certain way or like, whatever. It's like, you'll see it in your, in your relationships with others. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, it's funny though. I remember from my first yoga teacher training, my teacher, Patty Townsend, who's wonderful, Um, And body yoga is the style that she teaches. She told us, she was just like, all right, if y'all are married, you can't get divorced while you're taking this training because it's just such an, like, yes, the relationships get better, but there is that initial stage of being like, you're the one that's wrong, not me, right? Like if only you just could figure that your own stuff out, then we wouldn't be in this problem. And she was just like, y'all can get divorced and, you know, at the end of the training, but not right now, like be present with the ways that. Um, in the ways that you are projecting onto other people, the stuff that you are dismantling in yourself, the stuff that you are learning how to embody differently in yourself. So um, yes, relationships do get better and some, some relationships fall away and some relationships go through some real crises moments. Um, I think for me, a gauge of it is how present can I stay with it and how much can I, be present with the truth of what's happening without sliding into the stories that of what this means then, right? Oh, a friendship is ending. This means that I'm a terrible person, right? Or, or this means that they are a terrible person. And it can really just mean like, okay, a, a relationship sometimes end, mm-hmm. right? Rather than the stories that we make about them. Yes, yes. Um. Well, we have some breaking news. Yes, we do. <laughs> Tell us about a book deal that you're just signing. Very exciting. Yeah, I know. I'm, re- I'm so honored. I'm so honored to um, be in conversation with North Atlantic Books, um, a small indie publisher. They, um, they publish, they distribute through Penguin Random House. They have published some of my favorite books of all time. And so being able to become one of their authors is just means so much to me. And I am writing a book about somatics, about the sort of cultural context of our embodied relationships and our relationship to our bodies. Uh, It definitely explores some of the ways that the embodiment industry advocates for Mm -hmm. ableist ideals. Um, But it's mostly about bringing awe into our relationship with our body and into our relationship with the natural world like understanding why we have lost that sense of awe and the way that it feeds into colonialism and capitalism and white supremacy culture and all of these different various aspects. So that understanding the origin of those stories, we can, we can choose different stories. We can choose stories of awe that really feed us and nourish us and allow us to be more present with ourselves and with the world around us. Nice. Congratulations. 
obviously you. you're still writing. Yes. Things don't really know, but do, do we think 2023, 2020? Oh, yes. It'll be out. Like if all goes as planned, it's slated for fall 2023 publication. So yeah. Great. That's great. So the last thing I just wanted to talk about is um, how people can work with you mm-hmm. and tell us a little bit about your Anchor Somatic Group. Sounds so yeah. Yeah, Anchor is an ongoing somatic learning community, and it really is a community. I love the folks that are in it. It's ongoing. Um, folks can come when they want and leave when they wish. Um, but we've been doing it. I've been holding it steadily for four over four years now, and some people have been there the whole time, and some people come in and then go out, and some people, you know, visit for a bit. Um, the idea is to have a place. You know, I chose the name Anchor on purpose. But this is a place where you can come and anchor yourself into your body and into these important conversations in ways that are not ableist, right? Like they're very, we are very specifically focused on teaching somatics in ways that anybody, anybody with any body can, um, can approach. And importantly, we're doing it within the social context. So rather than just sort of isolating ourselves off and being like, now let's just feel good for an hour. There have been times, you know, we've been meeting for the last four years. We've been meeting through the pandemic. We've been meeting through political upheaval. We've been meeting through all sorts of different huge events. And rather than saying, okay, let's forget about that right now and talk about this other thing, we say, okay, let's bring this thing into our space without centering it to the point where we lose ourselves in it. It's been really beautiful. I did not um, know just how much I was going to need it when I started it four years ago. And I'm so grateful to the people who have been a part of it, whether that's just for a few months or whether that's been from for the whole length of it. And we meet every Thursday on Zoom for one hour and then all the recordings are available. And we, uh, I hold um, different focuses for the seasons. I call them nodules rather than modules because it felt more fun to call it a nodule, like a growing thing. So, for example, this summer we've been holding our focus to pleasure, to different ways that we can increase a somatic practice of pleasure and examine where we've been told that pleasure is just for sex or just for food or also just for guilty pleasures. And instead, use pleasure as a way to find, you know, even just like a tiny gateway into the body, even when pain is present, whether that's emotional or physical pain. Um, I love Anchor. And anyone can, can come as a guest. So if listeners want to reach out to me and ask to come as a guest before they decide if they want to join or not officially please, please reach out to me because it really is a special community. Cool. And just like, just to be clear, are you guys moving? Are you talking? Is it all mm. of that? Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So every session is an hour. And the mm-hmm. basic framework is um, for the first few, like for the first few minutes, we just kind of chat and say hi and, you know, get to be in community together because it's so important. Then um, I start the recording And I talk about sort of the greater context of what it is that we're going to be exploring. And that's about, that's not very long. I don't like to talk people's ears off. Then we go into a guided somatic practice for about 10 to maybe 15 minutes. So they're brief. I'm not trying to get people to just be out into the, but the cool thing about somatics is that 10 to 15 minutes is 
a small amount of time, but a long experience. Mm -hmm. We are typically not moving so much, although sometimes I do offer ideas for how movement could be a part of it. But they're always ideas because Mm -hmm. I have people with various different abilities. Um, I don't ever want someone to feel like they can't participate because their body doesn't move in the ways that um, most yoga and somatics and embodiment classes expect bodies to move. Okay. So sometimes we do like little micro movements or sometimes we explore like the sensation of the space inside the body. Often it's a embodied inquiry into sensations in the body with very little movement at all. Sometimes we do, um, you know, sort of palpitations of the face or of the arms or of the hands, but anything that is movement based is always offered as an option. And then we come off of mute and come back together and share what the experience was. And every time I am blown away by getting to listen to people um, share their experiences and notice how people's experiences really, um, it deepens each of our experiences to hear someone else share how theirs, what they experienced in that same practice. And yeah, it's an hour. We, 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 we widen time significantly in the hour, but I like to keep it short also so that it's something, you know, again, accessible. So it's one hour every week and you don't have to come because the recording's available. But if you want to come every week, you know that you can't really spin out too hard because every, every week you have an opportunity to come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Um, I'm I'm also gonna add that as something I'm gonna yeah. try out. Sounds lovely. Come on in. I'd love to have you. It'd be yeah. lovely. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, Abigail, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. It was so thank great you. to talk to you. I have a feeling we could talk for a much longer period of time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe I'll come back when the book comes out. I'll come back for another talk. for sure okay thanks Abigail thank you thank you so much for listening to swimming and singing if you're interested in joining my online therapeutic yoga membership when it reopens to new members head to my website at bit.ly slash yoga therapy for spoonies and join the waitlist On my website, you will also find a link to a free yoga in bed three-part course. Great for anyone who is too tired, too busy, or thinks they don't have enough room to practice yoga. Links and contact information for me and my guests can be found in the show notes and on my website. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast. And if you have thoughts or comments you'd like to share with me, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep swimming and keep singing.